Say amen. 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 That certainly has been a blessing to me too. Well, I want to get right into the message today. Turn with me into the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, and we're going to look at all 14 verses in that chapter this morning. And I've entitled the message, The Heavenly Solution to Our Earthly Problems. And what I want you to do for the next few minutes, as I read this passage of Scripture, I want you to allow your mind to picture this scene. Do you ever read anything or hear something described and you make a mental movie out of what you see? You just, you have a mental image of it. That's what I pray will happen when we read this passage of Scripture today. Imagine this scene that will someday take place in the future. Revelation chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. The Apostle John writes and he says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll And to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation." And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and as such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. 
Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. May God bless the reading of his word. This is the last Sunday of winter. And many have been looking forward to saying goodbye to winter and hello to springtime. Can I hear an amen on that one? You know, the last week of winter, two years ago, stands out in my mind for reason of three different stories that appeared in the news, our local news right here in western North Carolina. And all three of these news stories had to do with out-of-control vehicles. The first happened on March the 15th when an out-of-control car crashed into Noah's Ark Animal Hospital over in Franklin. The driver of the car was a customer at the animal hospital and she, nothing specifically related there to that uh, personal pronoun, but she accidentally hit the gas pedal instead of the brake pedal propelling her car inside the animal hospital. When the lady regained her senses, I think she was heard to say, I'll be doggone. (laughs) I mean, what do you say if you crash into an animal hospital? Well, the stories continued on on Thursday morning when right here in Asheville, an out-of-control pickup truck crashed into the living room of a home in Asheville. The driver of the truck is said to have taken a sip of coffee that result in an uncontrollable coughing fit which caused him to pass out. And when he woke up, he and his pickup truck were inside the living room of a house not too far from where we are right now. Well, I've had a caffeine crash before, but not quite like that. How about you? I hope you don't have one like that. And then the story continued on on Friday morning. March the 17th, when I received a notification on my cell phone that an out-of-control vehicle had crashed into Bojangles over in Marion, North Carolina. I guess he was trying to find the drive through and just misjudged it or something and, and drove right into the Bojangles restaurant. Well, my advice for you this morning is this. When you're driving around on these roads here in western North Carolina, watch out for the out-of-control vehicles. They seem to be everywhere. But let me ask you a question that I believe is a much more important question. Do you ever feel like you live in a world that's out of control? I mean, we listen to the news stories, we see the events that are taking place around the world in which we live, and many times it just seems like things are in chaos and out of control. We look at what's going on in Venezuela. We look at Russia. We look at North Korea. We look at China. We look at the Middle East where tensions again escalated during this past week and we see so many situations that appear to us at least to be out of control. And then we look right here in our own country in the United States of America 
And we see a nation that is such a divided nation. And the division seemed to be getting worse and worse instead of better. Some say that you would have to look back to the days of the Civil War to find a time when America would be more divided than we are right now. But our division, it's not along geographical lines, it seems, but it's along ideological lines that are getting further and further apart. And so economically, religiously, racially, morally, it seems like that we are in chaos. And so if you read the newspapers and get the news on the internet or you tune in to your favorite news channel and you look at the affairs of the world too long, you are likely to become obsessed, stressed, and depressed, maybe even all three at the same time. But people in our situation, they look up to heaven and they say, is anybody up there? God, where are you when we need you? Lord, are you in control? When are you going to bring an end to all the evil and the injustice that is in our world today? And we ask the question, is there a heavenly solution to our earthly problems? And I'm glad I can tell you today on the authority of God's word, yes, There is a heavenly solution to our earthly problems and His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. But to see this solution, you've got to look past the news stories and you've got to look into the pages of the Word of God and and get a picture of Jesus that is presented to us like in this chapter of Revelation chapter 5. I believe this chapter presents Jesus in high definition. You know, many of us have those televisions that are HD TV, high definition TV that give the clear, sharp, clear, uh, crisp picture. And I believe that Revelation chapter 5 gives us such a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we see Jesus today, as the heavenly solution to our earthly problems. I want us to look at the details of this passage of Scripture, and there are four specific details that I want to call your attention to this morning. First of all, in this passage, I want you to see an intriguing scene. An intriguing scene. We're told in verse 1, John says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, A scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. John saw an occupied throne in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, the throne of this universe is not vacant. The throne of this universe is occupied by God Himself. Some people wonder, they ask the question, who's in charge here? Well, the answer is, God is large and He is in charge. He is in control of things. This verse assures us that things are not running out of control, but things are running very much under His control. And notice who it is. That is upon the throne. It is not Muhammad. It is not Confucius. It's not Buddha. 
And it's certainly not a Hollywood movie star or a sports celebrity. But it is Almighty God who is upon the throne and He is ready to take care of business. In His right hand is a scroll. And the scroll has writing on the front and on the back. That was very unusual for scrolls in those days. Typically, they were just written on one side. But this scroll has writing on both sides, which means that it is overloaded with content, that it is full of content. And as you go on in the book of Revelation and you see the seals that hold the scroll closed, when those seals are open. It is the judgment of God upon an unbelieving world that is poured out in this scroll. So the scroll is actually the title deed to this universe. And God is holding it in His right hand. Now some people ask the question, will God ever execute judgment on an unbelieving world? Well, the Apostle John probably thought that same way and had those same kind of questions in his time. Because you see, at that moment, the Roman emperor Domitian was upon the throne. And Domitian was the first Roman emperor that gave himself the title, God the Lord. Can you imagine giving yourself a title like that? And insisting that people would worship you? Domitian insisted that people come before him with acclamations such as Lord of all the earth, invincible, glory, holy, thou alone. That's how he wanted people to refer to him. And when Christians and Jews refused to participate in such nonsense, terrible persecution came their way. And so in his revelation... God lifted John's eyes up from the earthly throne that was occupied by Domitian up to the heavenly throne that is occupied by God Himself. When John looked at the earthly throne, he saw confusion and chaos. But when he looked at the heavenly throne, he experienced calm and confidence because of the One who was upon the throne. I want to encourage you in these chaotic times in which we live, to turn off some of the 24-hour news channels. And by the way, haven't you noticed that though they call themselves 24-hour news channels, it's the same news every 15 minutes. Have you noticed that? Just repeating it over and over and over again. And most of it is bad news. And if you spend all of your time looking and focusing upon that, you're going to find yourself worried and fretting. G. Campbell Morgan, the great British preacher of years ago, said, the man who measures things by circumstances of the hour is filled with fear. But the man who sees Jehovah enthroned and governing has no panic. And I believe that. There was a little boy in a worship service much like this one Sunday morning, Brother Billy. The choir sang a song, God is on the throne. And the little boy misunderstood the words. And he went home and he was singing the song all afternoon, singing God's on the phone. God is on the phone. Well, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, God's not on the phone. Well, in one sense, He is if you pray to Him, isn't He? He is on the other end of the prayer line. But I can assure you of this, He is upon the throne of this universe where He rules and reigns forevermore. 
And so there's an intriguing scene. But the second detail of this passage involves a perplexing dilemma. A perplexing dilemma. John says that he heard the voice of a mighty angel, a strong angel, who cried out and said, Who is worthy to take the scroll and to open it and to loose its seals? And they began to search throughout all of heaven and all of earth, trying to find someone who was worthy to take the scroll and to open it. You know, there would have been many who would have been willing to have taken the scroll and opened it. Alexander the Great would have been willing. Genghis Khan, Napoleon, Hitler. Those are just a few out of a whole host of others who would have been willing to have opened the scroll. But the question is not who is willing. The question is, who is worthy? And that's a totally different question altogether. So the largest manhunt in the history of the universe takes place in these next verses as they try to find someone who is worthy to take the scroll and to open it. And so they searched throughout the angelic realms of creation. And Michael the archangel, in his greatness and his power. Gabriel, who was the one who announced the birth of Jesus Christ. Neither Michael nor nor Gabriel or any of the other angels were able to open the scroll. And then they looked under the earth into the realms of hell. And neither the devil nor his demons, or any of the hordes of hell put together could open the scroll. And then they searched upon the earth out of all those who had walked upon planet earth. And they found that not even Abraham, the father of many nations, was worthy. Moses, who could part the Red Sea and bring forth water from the rock, not even Moses was worthy. Samson and all of his strength could not open the scroll. Solomon and all of his wisdom could not open the scroll. John the Baptist could not open it. The Apostle Paul could not open it. And I have some news for you today. The Supreme Court could not open the scroll. Donald Trump nor Vladimir Putin could open the scroll. And it's for certain that Congress could not open the scroll. They can't even agree on how to open a Christmas present, let alone on how to do anything else. And so no one was worthy to open the scroll. And isn't it amazing how often we look in the wrong places to find the answers to our problems? We we look to the sources of power. We look to sources of authority. And somehow we overlook the greatest source of power and authority of all. We overlook God Himself. And so here's John the Apostle weeping. Tears streaming down his weather-beaten face because not one of the sons of Adam who had ever lived upon this planet was worthy to take the scroll and to open it. And that's where our text brings us to the third, uh, uh, the, the third detail that I want us to see, and that is a surprising announcement. A surprising announcement. 
John is weeping and in verse 5 it says, One of the elders said, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. John turns around thinking that he's going to see a lion, but instead he sees a lamb. Was there ever a more dramatic moment in the Bible than when John turns and he sees the lion that is none other than the lamb? I want us to focus on the lamb for just a few moments this morning. Think about the presence of the lamb. The scripture says that the lamb was in the midst of the throne. And we know who that lamb is, don't we? That lamb is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is referred to as the Lamb some 28 times in the book of Revelation. John is trying to get us to understand that heaven is all about the Lamb. Oh, heaven is going to be wonderful, isn't it? There are the gates of pearl, the walls of jasper, the streets of gold. There's the opportunity to be reunited with loved ones who have gone on before us. All these things are going to be fantastic. But the thing that really makes heaven heaven is the presence of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. But then also notice the power of the Lamb. This lamb is pictured and the scripture describes the lamb as having seven horns and seven eyes. The number seven in the Bible is used for completion and perfection. And a horn is a symbol of power. Eyes are a symbol of being able to see all things. And so to have seven horns means that this lamb has has complete strength and power and authority. He has seven eyes, which means that he's able to see and to know all things. There is the power of the lamb. But then notice there's the preeminence of the lamb. The lamb walks right up to God the Father on the throne. And he takes the scroll out of his hand. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's not a greater testimony in Scripture to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ than what happened right there in that particular verse. Jesus, the Son of God, walks right up to God the Father, takes the scroll from His hand. He is the only one who is worthy to open that scroll. John is screaming to us in this passage of Scripture that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord. The Lamb is worthy to be praised and worshipped and adored. And we see that later on in this passage of Scripture. But here's the concept that I want you to see. Jesus is both the Lion of the tribe of Judah and He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is both the Lion and the Lamb. Jesus is both the Son of God and the Son of Man. Now it may be hard to get our minds around that concept. Please be assured that if you struggle with that, you're not the only people. We're not the only ones who have struggled with that concept of seeing Jesus in both ways. And yet the scripture presents him in that manner. 
Just go back in your mind, if you will, to how the scholars in the temple must have struggled. When Jesus was there in the temple, He was only 12 years old, and He was conversing with the scholars. You remember the story in Luke, how that it says that Jesus had taken, uh, had gone to uh, Jerusalem with his parents, Mary and Joseph, and, and they had left him behind and went a full day's journey thinking he was in their midst, but they'd really left him behind. And when they went back to Jerusalem to the temple, there was Jesus exactly where they left him in the temple, and he was in conversation with the religious scholars of his day. Now, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall and heard the conversation that I think must have ensued between Jesus and those scholars. I can imagine it going something like this as they tried to grasp who Jesus was, that He was the Son of God and the Son of Man. And and they ask Him the question, they say, What is your name, son? And Jesus answered and He says, On my mother's side... It's Jesus. But on my father's side, it's Emmanuel. And then they ask him, where are you from? Well, on my mother's side, I'm from about five miles from here over in Bethlehem. But on my father's side, on my father's side, I came down from heaven. I can just see them. They're scratching their heads. They're trying to figure this out. And then they say, how old are you? On my mother's side, I'm only 12 years old. But on my father's side, I am older than my mother, and I'm just as old as my father. Now they're really scratching their heads now and trying to figure that out. And then they say, what religion are you? Well, on my mother's side, I'm a Jew from the house of David. But on my Father's side, I am the one who will be worshipped and adored throughout eternity. And then they say, what are your plans for the future, young man? And he says, well, on my mother's side, I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to die. But on my Father's side, after three days in the tomb, I will arise in glorious resurrection." Oh, what a picture John gives us of Jesus as both the lion and the lamb. And in our confusing, chaotic times, spend more time focusing on Jesus and who Jesus is, and you'll see that He really is the heavenly solution to our earthly problems. A.W. Tozer once said, Worship rises or falls on our concept of God. If there's one terrible disease in the church of Christ, it is that we do not see God as great as He is. And that brings me to the fourth detail of this passage that I want to mention very quickly as we wrap this up. You may have noticed as we read this passage that it concludes in verses 8 through 14 with an inclusive adoration. These verses tell us about a celebration of praise like the universe has never known. Notice with me the source of praise. All creation gets involved in this praise. All those around the throne in verse 8. 
The myriads of angels in verse 11. All those on earth and under the earth in verse 13. All join in this time of adoration. In other words, no one is left out and God is being praised by all of His creations. The source of praise. But then there's the specifics of praise. What do they do? In this celebration of praise. Well, let me summarize a lot of content by simply saying that they acclaim His greatness, they acknowledge His goodness, and they adore His grace. And one of the ways they do that in verse 9 is they sing. Verse 9 says they sang a new song. Hey, I am so glad that Christianity is a singing religion. And we come together as believers in Christ and the choir sings and the praise team sings and the congregation sings. The soloists sing. We lift our voices to God in praise and it is fitting and it is appropriate because we have someone worth singing about, don't we? We have a song that is worth singing. I mean, it's amazing what the world can find to write a song about or to sing about. I mean, Jimmy Buffett sang a song about a cheeseburger in paradise. I mean, if you can sing about that, you can sing about anything, can't you? But we have something worth singing about. Not every religion, though, is a singing religion. The Muslims, the Hindus, they don't sing. The Confucianists don't sing. The Buddhists don't sing, they just hum. Why? Because they don't have anything to sing about. But we have a Savior who is worth serving and praising and singing about. The specifics of praise. And then the subject of praise. Who is it they're praising? They're praising the One who sits on the throne and the Lamb. In other words, God is the subject of their praise. Folks, we need to understand when we come together to worship. Worship is not really about us. It's about God. He is the subject of our praise. And we're to praise Him. We're to adore Him. William Willimon says that uh, he describes modern Christianity and a tragedy of worship that often happens like this. He says, the focus is on me. My feelings, my thoughts, my commitments, my guilt, my needs. I am the center of worship. The focus of a carefully orchestrated series of Sunday morning activities that are are designed to do something to me or for me. And then he says, we are so busy looking at ourselves. No wonder that we sometimes miss God. That's not too shabby for a United Methodist professor at Duke Divinity School, is it? And if they can understand that, how much more should we as Baptists be able to understand that God is indeed the subject of our worship and praise? And then there's the season of praise. Verses 13 and 14 make it clear that this praise is going to go on forever and forever throughout eternity and Satan will not be able to put a stop to it. Praise of God will continue on and on. And so, in the middle of problems and chaos and confusion, 
And maybe it's not just on the international scene and the national scene. Maybe it's going on in your family right now. Maybe it's going on in your personal life right now and you're just wondering about God and is He in control? How do you have peace in the middle of such troubled times? It's all because Jesus is the heavenly solution to our earthly problems. On a commercial airliner, during a routine flight, it turned out not to be quite so routine when the plane started experiencing some major turbulence. That's a scary thing when you get up there and that starts happening, isn't it? And on this particular flight, it was a little worse than normal. People in the aisles were stumbling around trying to regain their balance. Trays of food were dislodged and they were flying through the air. The oxygen mask came loose and they fell down in front of the passengers. The people were in panic. And even the flight attendants who were used to seeing things like that happen, they were concerned about the severity of the situation. But in the middle of all the chaos, there was a little boy who was seated there And he was playing with his toys on the little table in front of him, the tray that he'd put down. And he was playing with his toys and he was just humming a little tune to himself. He was content. He was just having a big time while everything around him seemed to be falling apart. And an older woman looked at the little boy from across the aisle and said, Son, I've just got to ask you, how is it that you can be so calm at a time like this? The little boy answered and he said, oh, that's easy. The man who's piloting this plane, he's my daddy. He's my daddy. And he's been in rough situations like this before. And I trust him. In the middle of your storms, in the middle of chaotic times, just rest assured, my friend, rest assured that the Father and the Son are very much in control. And Jesus is the heavenly solution to every earthly problem that we'll ever have. I'm going to ask that we bow together in prayer. We're going to prepare for the song of invitation. If you're here today and you need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come during this invitation and get to know Him personally. Pastor William is going to be here at the front to help to lead and direct in this time of invitation. And he would consider it a privilege to pray with you and to point you to Christ. It would be a privilege for me to do that or for any other believer in this place to do that today. Let God do what He wants to do in your life this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, perhaps there are people here today not only who may be lost without Jesus and need to know You. But Lord, there may be Christians here who are going through some of those struggles right now and they're asking some of those questions about are You in charge? Are You in control? Oh God, I pray that You'll help us to just take every need we have and bring it before our Savior this morning. Though we may have come in with burdens, help us to leave those burdens with You knowing that you are our heavenly solution to every earthly problem we'll ever have. 
do what you want to do in our lives now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing the hymn of invitation. Allow God to do what He wants to do in these next few moments. Just obey Him. Take my life, lead me, Lord. Take my life, lead me, Lord. Make my life useful to Thee. Take my life. 